Shalom, and welcome to Christians with Torah, the Beit Tehillah Community Podcast. We believe the Torah is relevant for our lives today, God's teachings and instructions. You may very well be part of the first generation to be born again, filled with the Holy Spirit, and have the Torah, a Christian with Torah. Join us as we honor the living God through the study of His Word, topical conversations, and interviews with special guests. Please welcome our hosts, Pastor Nick Plummer and Ryan Cabrera. Shalom, everybody, and welcome to Christians with Torah, the Faith to Healer Community Podcast. My name is Ryan Cabrera, and I'm here in Studio B with Pastor Nick Plummer. Studio B is a beautiful studio. It is a beautiful studio. I like it here. It is beautiful. It's a stage. <laughs> you wouldn't know if you didn't know. You wouldn't know. You wouldn't. But if you know, you know. I-Y-K-Y-K. If you know, you know. So welcome, everybody. Thanks for being here. If this is your first time here, uh, welcome. Christians with Torah, we believe in the whole Bible from Genesis to Maps is relevant to Christian believers today. And obviously with a little bit of emphasis on Torah. Why the emphasis on Torah? Because nobody else is putting emphasis on Torah, right? What's in it? We should read it. We should know it. We should apply it to our lives today. It's God's teachings and instructions. It's his principles. We should be on board. Amen? Good job. Thank you. So the... Uh, Tor portions, if that's what you're here for, we have four years worth of Tor portions, uh, three years of just audio, uh, one year of audio and video that you can go back on YouTube or on you know, your iTunes or your, I'm sorry, your uh, podcast app and iPhone or whatever. Wherever you get your podcast, they're there. You can grab those episodes. So they're, each Tor portion will have four episodes on it. So you can get different you know, angles of commentary on it and things like that if that's what you're looking for. However, this year we've been doing the book of Matthew. And it has been an exciting ride. And it's about to get mo' better. Yeah, it is. Because today we are jumping feet first into Matthew chapter 24, which I would say if there is a chapter of Scripture that is relevant to uh, prophecy regarding the end times, um, this would be the one, right? I mean, this is like the mothership of prophetic warnings and prophecies from the horse's mouth, right? Right from Yeshua himself. That's it. And so today we're going to do the first 14 verses of uh, chapter 24. We're going to split the whole chapter up into three uh, episodes. So you're going to get the next three weeks, you'll get uh, the separate portions of scriptures just so we can break it up. Uh, But we're going to start with chapter 24, verses 1 through 3. All right. And I'll read and then you can interject. All right. Jump right in here. Let's just keep on the Temple Mount. I have to go first. I have been. Since you've been on the Temple Mount. So have you Oh, okay. yeah, most recently, you've been on the Temple Mount, so I think you should open this. Yeah. So Matthew chapter 24, verses 1 through 3. And Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came to him for to show him the buildings of the temple. Jesus said unto them, See not all these things? Verily I say unto you, There shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. As he sat upon the Mount of Olives, disciples came unto him privately saying tell us when shall these things be and what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world wow yeah a lot to discuss here so we've got some bullet points i want to run through the bullet points first go ahead and then we can kind of interject from there and so first it says here although no one knows exactly what this temple looked like it must have been beautiful herod had helped the jews remodel and beautify it no doubt to stay on friendly terms with his subjects. Next to the inner temple, where the sacred objects were kept and the sacrifices offered, 
There was a large area called the Court of the Gentiles where the money changers and the merchants had their booths. If you remember those stories about Yeshua, right? Outside these courts were long porches. Solomon's porch was 1,562 feet long. The royal portico was decorated with 160 columns stretching along its structure. The disciples found Jesus' words about its destruction difficult to believe. But the temple was indeed destroyed only 40 years later when the Romans sacked Jerusalem in 70 A.D. Quite impressive. Wow. 162 columns. Listen, I just built this little like <laughs> extension to cover some stairs off my porch. All right. And it has two columns. And these are made out of wood. Right. I can only imagine the amount of labor it takes and the finagling it takes to make them, you know, plumb, you know, and all that uh, for stone columns times 162. That's a lot. I mean, that's a lot. Of, that's a lot of work. Herod can build. That's all I'm saying. Wow. We talked about this. Um, now, a little bit about the first temple. The first temple, after four years as king, Solomon, David's son, began to build the temple. This is somewhere around the year 966 B.C., uh, which, just to give you some perspective, is 480 years after the Exodus. Now, according to the KJV Study Bible, the temple was, or that temple, the first temple, was 90 feet by 30 feet, uh, twice the size of the tabernacle. It took seven years to build the first temple, according to 1 Kings chapter 6, verse 38. Cool. Now, the second temple, later known as Herod's temple. Seven means like completion. It does. Um, it's later known as Herod's temple because they built it at the time of what? Ezra and Nehemiah, right? They rebuilt the temple there somewhere in there. But then they did an expansion project and beautified it in Herod's day. So it's uh, the second temple was really referred to as Herod's temple. And was reconstructed um, in Jerusalem between the, uh, well, it was reconstructed in 516 B.C. And it was there until 70 A.D. when it was destroyed. Right. Now, the rebuilding of the temple from the C. day. C is common era, too. Right, before. yeah, I don't use no C. <laughs> Anno Domini, right? Good Catholic words, Roman uh, Latin. So the, the rebuilding of the temple from the day of the Jews laid its foundation stone for the second time to its finish had uh, therefore taken about four years and three months. Right. So. Yeah, it didn't take as long. Yeah, right. A lot of info about... But still, Herod did some additions. In oh, yeah. Well, he built the whole... He added retaining walls yeah. and expanded the platform itself and then built big structures on top of it. So this is, this is why when Yeshua declares that it's going to be destroyed, not a stone on top of another, right? That's a big deal because I was thinking about it and I was like... You know, you really got to be motivated to build something like this. But this is God's people in God's land right. taking on a project to build. That's right. And they're they're doing it, what, for the Lord, so that people could come. And right. they're believing all the prophecies that the nations are going to come up, so they need that's, space that's for they, all this. That's where they meet with God. Right. So I understand the building. What I don't understand, the Romans really, really had to be motivated to destroy this thing. Because like I just mentioned, I mean, this thing's made out of stone. So in that day, without like, tanks or bulldozers or any of that technology we're talking hand labor horses maybe ropes to destroy this thing and get all that off of the temple mount i wonder if we're going to be able to watch it a lot of work no i don't know i mean i'd be probably picked past maybe that he'll one. say I'll, I'll show you what happens when you disobey me oh but maybe he won't show us murder i don't know like people getting murdered i don't know i mean if we have netflix and hulu don't we have something in heaven to watch we watch the crossing of the red sea or yeah 
think about it. That would be interesting. Movie night. Movie night. Moses. Yeah. yeah. I know I think about these things. <laughs> I just don't think like if I'm gonna pick a channel, I don't think the destruction of the temple in seventy AD, you know, I don't I don't think that's gonna be the channel I flip flip to. Although there's some harrowing stories. You gotta think when you see bad things going on. Right? I've heard it said before. You look for the heroes. Look for the, the good people right. that are helping. Look for the helpers. Right. So those are the things that I know that God is, is looking at. And, and you know, it's interesting because there's there's it's too bad we don't have a picture of it, but you know, they, you can see where they uh, they say that the gold you know, melted in the cracks. Oh yeah. And so they took these big pry bars and things and just pummeled these stones on top of one another. You can see piles of rocks near the southern steps. Yeah. Where. Uh, well, not one stone left upon another. Yeah. You can actually see that. Right. You can actually see it with your own eyes. Yeah. That level of the temple when it was being destroyed. So it's real eye-opening to look and see not one stone left upon another. And you'll see these pile of stones that were just right. not clearly clear. I've seen that. And, and, um, yeah. and I think a lot of people have seen it. Uh, there is another spot in Scripture. This is actually on the western side, on the end the pile of stones I saw moving towards the southern steps. Right. So I think it is. Let's see here. Let's see. It's uh, Yeah. North, east, south, west. It's on the far west corner. It's on the west side. Yeah. It's on the west side. And then as you keep going this way, if you go towards the southern steps, if you come from the western wall and go right where the women are and keep going and then go around, that would take you to the southern steps and to some original steps at the time of Yeshua actually too. Some original steps. So one of the things that we have to do when we read the Bible is we have to understand when to take the Bible literally and when to take it literarily. Wow. <laughs> you see that? See what I did there? Wow. That's an alliteration. <laughs> literally. I tell you. So there's some controversy around the statement that Yeshua makes when he says, not one stone shall be left here upon another. Because people say, well, what is the Western Wall? Right. And then, the, you know, the people that are apologists for this statement will say, well, the Western Wall is not part of the temple. It's right. the retaining wall for right. the platform, yada, yada, you know, all this stuff, which is fine. I don't feel like I have a horse in the race because I take this more literarily, like a part of, like a figure of speech, right? Not one stone will be left upon another. It'll be utterly destroyed. Right. So we can both agree no the temple, temple was utterly destroyed, right? Yeah. Okay. But I'm going to kind of solidify this for you by taking some verses from Luke chapter 19. And we're going to start at verse 41 through 44. And it says this. It says, Now as he drew near, he saw the city and wept over it, saying. Right? This is talking about Jerusalem. Right. So he's, he's overlooking the city of Jerusalem. And he says, If you had known, even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you, and close you in on every side. Did that happen? It happened. Josephus, the greatest storm. Right. And level you and your children within you to the ground, and they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. Wow. Okay. So this, Yeshua, is looking at the whole city of Jerusalem, saying not one stone will be left upon another. Right. right. So it, we can verifiably say that there are stones in Jerusalem. Right. From Yeshua's day and before, that That's are right. left upon another. That's we right. can look at uh, the wall that Hezekiah built, right? Because remember, Hezekiah built an additional wall. We right. can look at the wall that was there during David's time. That's true, right? We can see all kinds of structures that are from antiquity, even like I said, predating Yeshua. So right. saying that every stone will be toppled down is a figure of speech, 
meaning utter destruction. Right. And I think that, that we can agree upon that because we obviously understand figures of speech because we use them every day. Right. You know? Um, yeah, that's it. So here's the next part. So verse 3, we get to, and it says this. It says, and, and as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, and if you know the Mount of Olives is, uh, you have the eastern gate right. to the Temple Mount. Kidron Valley. Right. Down in the valley is the Kidron Valley, and then you have a range called the Mount of Olives. The Russian right? Orthodox Church is right there. Is it Russian? Or no, Church of Nations. Sure. <laughs> There's a lot of, uh, there's a big cemetery on the Mount of Olives. I think the Russian Orthodox Church is on the Mount of Olives, isn't it? Probably. There is a bunch of churches. Gold, yes. Or there's several churches there. Um, but I don't know which ones they are. Um, I kind of, you know, didn't really go to the churches themselves. Just kind of an odd thing, I guess, being a Christian when you go to Jerusalem yeah. and skip the churches. Yeah. I went to the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. That was an eye-opening experience, to say the least. Yeah. It's <laughs> quite an quite an adventure. It's quite a uh, yeah. It's it's a it's, an interesting it's funny place. too because like you know, it, I went post COVID, right? But still, you know, COVID is on the minds of people. So there's a lot of people wearing masks. A lot of people not wearing masks. And I realized that there's two groups of people on polar opposite ends of the spectrum. There's the ones that wear like three masks mm-hmm. and they're there with the people that like all get down on their hands and knees and kiss the same like granite platform or whatever it is. And I'm like, you know, like a thousand people today already kissed that same spot you just kissed, right? And I'm like, you know, I don't think I'm in that camp and yeah. I don't think I'm in the other camp. Right. <laughs> just saying. So anyway. Wearing a mask on a plane. That makes a lot of sense. So uh, that was a little, little bunny trail. Back to what I was saying, the Mount of Olives being right across from the Temple Mount on the eastern side. So the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? Two questions. Right. Disciples asked two questions. When shall these things be? And what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? And we know that this uh, world here is also... This is pretty nice of him. The world... uh, He's letting us know. Right. It's really the end of the age, Right. Into so the world here is cosmos, right? Right, or is the it a world, different word? Do you know, the world, the word for world is cosmos. Got it. It's actual place, but it's also a system. So Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the very place where the prophet Zechariah had predicted that the Messiah would stand when he came to establish his kingdom in Zechariah fourteen four. This was a fitting place for the disciples to ask Jesus when he would come in power and what they could expect then. Jesus' reply emphasized the events that would take place before the end of the world. He pointed out that his disciples should be less concerned with knowing the date and more concerned with being prepared. Living God's way consistently so that they, uh, so that no matter when Jesus returned, they would be ready. Right. Now, here's what's interesting. Obviously, Jesus has several times up to this point in the book of Matthew told them about his death, burial, and resurrection. Right. And it, it seems that they don't quite get it. Right? Right. And I believe that they're asking this question in verse 3, and especially privately to him, because they're confused. Right. They're up on the Temple Mount like, Lord, look at how beautiful these are. Like, right. they're, they're probably picking out their offices. Like, my office right. is going to be over here. My office is going to be over there, you know. And Yeshua's like, you see all this? Not a stone's going to be left on another, right? He's like correcting what? them. Like, this is all going to be utterly destroyed. They're like, what? So then they're like, wait a second. Like, I'm thinking that you're about to like take over. What are you talking about? Like, right. why would this be destroyed? Well, you'd build another better one? Like, you know, so they're asking him. I mean, that's where we, we jump off here. Interesting. Don't be deceived. 
Let's do it. So you're going to read Matthew chapter 24, verses 4 through 8. I am. It says here, And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and shall deceive many. And ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that ye be not troubled. For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. So here we go. So we got verses 4 and 5. Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you. Don't be deceived. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. Throughout the history of the church, and even today, many have made claims to Messianic identity. Uh, Jesus' disciples must be on their guard against such people. You know, there's somebody in South America that has a big following. Um, I forget the guy's name, uh, but he claims to be the Messiah, and there's a huge following for him. It doesn't make sense because it's not biblical. Well, because it says Yeshua will return. Clearly, we're throwing the Bible out the window. Yeah, he's not. They're not. They're not using that as a guidepost. Yeah. Now, let's see. uh, The word "deceive" in the Greek is number forty-one hundred five. It's the Greek word "planeo," and it means to properly cause to roam from safety, truth, or virtue, go astray, deceive, err, seduce, wander, be out of the way. So let's say the little pockets of Hebrew roots congregations, you know, oh, you know, the church is so bad. We got to meet in the living room and we got to do this. And we got to, you know, and, and then of course, you know, oh, and, and, and then what happens like if you start to grow, what are you going to do? Most of them don't grow. Mm-hmm. Their, their growth is stunted, you know. And, well, usually because they can't agree on things and they split. Well, but I'm just saying that splintered you, know, fragment. Well, you might have a responsibility to run a church. It is a lot of responsibility. And then what are you going to do? You know, so yeah, the, the Greek word planeo, and it also means to wander or be out of the way. So think about it. Uh, it says let no man deceive you. So what if people run around saying, oh, I don't need a church. I don't need yeah. a tithe. You know, and they, they pick up on that movement, you know. Well, see, it's, it's to cause to roam, right, from safety, truth, or virtue. So when right. you're out of the way, you're out of the way of what? Of safety, truth, and virtue. I mean, do right. you really want to be out of the way of safety, God truth, and scattered. virtue? Not scattering, he's gathering. Yeah. God is gathering. It's a good um, verse. He who doesn't gather it, scatters So the word deceive can be found four times in the Olivet Discourse. Don't be deceived. Matthew chapter 24, verses 4 and 5, verse 11 and 24. So that within the subject matter, that is the most intense. Don't be deceived. Don't be There's many levels of deception. deception. You know, the worst deception is the deception that we do to ourselves. Oh, yeah. When we deceive ourselves. Yeah. That's we, the worst. It's easy to deceive yourself. Uh, or go into denial. That's a form of deception, I would agree. Yeah. Denial. Cognitive dissonance is the worst deception, too, because it's like, even though people, sh- you've give, given the evidence, right? It, there's no amount of evidence that will they'll make you right. believe, right? So, so right out of the gate here, you know, um, there's deception, false Christ, mm-hmm. but then we move on. Oh. For the last 2,000 years of the Olivet Discourse. In Matthew 24, 6, and you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass but the end is not yet. Mm. Every generation wonders if the wars they see mean the end of the world. When Jerusalem was destroyed in 70 AD, it must have seemed like the end was near. Well, he says it right there, but the end is not yet. He did. <laughs> when you right. see the wars, right. the end is not yet. Right. World War II saw all nations at war and millions of Jews killed. 
Then Israel became its own nation again. Surely these seem like signs of the end. Today we face threats of terrorism and nuclear devastation, but God still rules the world. Jesus told us not to panic. So wars and rumors of wars. You know, they're saying that Israel is going to hit Iran any day. Oof. Or Iran is going to do something to Israel. Oof. Any day for a number of years now. Yeah, yeah. Matter of fact, the uh, president, Mahmoud Abbas, no, no, it's not Mahmoud Abbas, that's the Palestinian leader. Yeah. Uh, Mahmoud Ahmadinejad mm-hmm. was the president of Iran, and he had said some uh, big time threats as far oh, as yeah. his quotes against Israel and burning them up and the fury of Islam and, oh, yeah. and uh, wiping them off the face of the earth, Israel. Uh, and so we can see that. Um, you know, I imagine being born in like 1890. You'd have been 27 in 1917 at the end of the First World War where millions of people have been killed. Millions. I think it was like started in 1917. I thought it ended. I think it ended in 1918. Maybe it ended in 1918. A lot of people died. Yeah. So then 1918, Spanish flu breaks out. 50 million people died. We're going to talk about that. Oh. It's in there. No, there you go. Yeah, I mean, yeah. So, so as we develop these, this plot, but imagine you know, being alive through these this process, and then you know, nineteen forty-five, World right. War Two, and the sad thing they called the Spanish flu, but it started in America. We'll talk about that. I thought it was um, China. Now, yeah. So, so <laughs> it's, it's going to say right here in, in verses seven and eight, uh, Matthew twenty-four verses seven and eight. It says, "For nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places." All these are the beginning of sorrows, or birth pains. Now the word nation is the Greek word ethnos, probably from a race, as of the same habit, i.e. a tribe, especially a foreign, non-Jewish one, usually by implication pagan, Gentile, heathen, nation, a people. That's what this word is all about, the word ethnos. So we can develop this word, the true meaning of the prophecy in regard to the word ethnos is different ethnic groups around the world will be fighting each other. Boy, that like the Kurds. How many people are fighting the Kurds, or the different factions of Ethiopians? It's funny to me how the Kurdish people. There's like 40 million of them. I know. I never realized the population no, no. was so high. That's like larger than most countries in the world. Okay, so 40 I'll million. I have to look that up. That's interesting. And they're the largest displaced people group in the world. But like the UN is constantly focused on the Palestinians. And, and after like World 2 War million II, of the Kurds didn't get anything. That's my point. Right. So ethnic groups fighting each other. It's like Protestants and Catholics that could be in you know, schism divisions. But it's ethnic groups. So if you're a different ethnic group. Yeah. Now there's different ideologies that are fighting. Sunni and Shiite. Sure. But these are ethnic groups. If you're a Kurd, you're a Kurd. Oh, yeah. Right? If you're a Jew, you're a Jew. That's it. Aaron there have Aaron. been a lot of famines throughout the world since Yeshua's death burial and resurrection. We still see it even today. We see a lot of famines. There's presently a declared famine in India. And because of the war in Ukraine, and Ukraine and Russia both being uh, two of the largest exporters of wheat in the world, um, there's no exports going on. Scarcity of bread. It talks about how much bread would be. It would be expensive. More expensive than eggs. The word pestilences is the Greek word loemos, and it means a plague, literally the disease, or figuratively a pest, loemos, that word pestilences in plural. 
The word pestilences can also mean plagues. In 1918, the Spanish flu broke out and it is estimated that 50 million people died around the world. It has been estimated by the World Health Organization that at least 3 million deaths have occurred around the world due to COVID-19. <clears throat> On January 30th, 2020, COVID-19 was declared a public health emergency of international concern to the PHEIC. Wow, public health emergency of international concern. Wow. So, but so that's you three have, years ago. You three have, years ago. Again, somebody born. What about the bubonic plague? You know, well, and that's what I mean. There's, there's that. somebody living through certain periods of time would have experienced like great wars, right? Like I said, right. like World War One, right? The Spanish flu. World right. War Two, the Great Depression. I mean, we're talking like the end times are coming. Moving on to, uh, of course, earthquakes in different places. Jesus also made it known that before he returns, there would be earthquakes in different places. Did you know that there was an earthquake while Jesus was on the cross? You want to read Matthew 27, verses 51 through 54? Did you know that there was an earthquake while Jesus was on the cross? I did know that. Oh. So it's uh, chapter 27, 51 through 54. It says, Then behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth quaked, and the rocks were split. And the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the graves after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. So when the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and the things that had happened, they feared greatly, saying, Truly this is the Son of God. That's right, John Wayne. Think about that. Wow. There, you know, uh, I wrote a little note here. Um, let's see here. You know, a, um, a tsunami is, a, is actually an earthquake underwater. The tectonic plates move, it raises the, 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 the giant waves, the tsunami. Yeah. Remember when in Indonesia, it was like 250,000 people died. It's insane. I think it was on Christmas, December 25th. Wow. And it's interesting because they, they pointed out the animals took the high ground because they could sense it. Mm -hmm. But we didn't have that sense. Even nature, you know, has some sense. Mm -hmm. um, and so uh, as we develop this, you know, events happening and things happening in hindsight, we can see that it has happened. It is happening. The beginning of sorrows is a reference to labor pains at the birth of a child. When a woman gets to 10 centimeters, dilated her cervix, she can then begin to birth the baby. It seems the birth pains start in a small measure and build up at the end, which is all about suffering. Ooh. Isn't that interesting? Mm -hmm. So basically, that's what we have. So if she's, you know, if she's having birth pains, Ryan, it means that, like, where is she at in, the in process. centimeters? Yeah. Because once she gets to 10, the, the suffering is going to be intense. Game time. And then, of course, a child is born, and there's great joy. Right. So after the birth pains, there's a, there's a birth of something incredible. God's kingdom, his children, all these really, really awesome things that he wants to do through us. So, Well, you know, um, he says here. I'll leave it at that. I mean, it's building up. You know, my, when my wife was 10 centimeters, then pushed, here comes the baby, you know. All right, you're four centimeters, you're six centimeters, you're eight centimeters. Well, like you said, right here, so for, for nation shall rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, Right, and there will be famines, pestilences, earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Oh, what comfort! This is just the beginning. Two thousand years of beginnings. <laughs> so think about it. All these people that witness these things, right? This is just the beginning of sorrows. 
we're just getting started. Wars, rumors of wars, you know, plagues, earthquakes. You saw the Battle of Gog and Magog, Armageddon. It's rough, man. It's rough. So So it's my turn to read? Your turn to read. You're going to take over. Cool. Sure. All right. In Matthew chapter 24, verses 9 through 14. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted, and shall kill you, and you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. And then shall many be offended, and shall betray one another, and shall hate one another. And many false prophets shall rise, and shall deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. And the gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. So just get a lot there. Go to pen in verse 14 there, all right, that last verse that you just read. That's a, a verse that a lot of end times doctrine has been built on, and there's whole, whole swaths of the evangelical world that that is like the crux of, of yeah, why we're gonna, we're gonna get to they that, are yeah. the way they are. And we have the technology to get that out. So oh, yeah. So, uh, Matthew chapter nine or chapter twenty-four, verses nine through fourteen is titled "Difficult Times," as if it wasn't difficult enough in the last few verses. Yeah, it's going to be difficult, right? right? So, all these things start happening, and then they shall deliver you up to be afflicted, and shall kill you, and you'll be hated of all nations for my name's sake. So, Christianity is being persecuted. The disciples will be persecuted if you follow Yeshua. In the last days, it is like putting a target on your back. So just yeah. know that ahead of time. Morals and values. If, if, if you don't think it's worth it, get out now. You know what I mean? Might as well be selfish and live for yourself now because it's going to get tough. You know. Um, verse 10, and then, right? So, so we have the persecution that comes. And then many shall be offended and shall betray one another and shall hate one another. Many will be offended. That's today. You see that. I'm offended. You know, there's a whole political movement based around who is the most offended, right? <laughs> I don't know. Who's the biggest victim, you know? Who's the easiest to offend? An offense. So let's break that word down. All right, let's, 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 let's break that word down. <laughs> oh, boy. So the word offended is the Greek 4624, and is the Greek word skandalizo. You've seen this word before. And it comes from... The Greek 4625, which means to entrap, i.e. trip up, figuratively stumble or transitively uh, entice to sin, apostasy or displeasure, or to make to offend. Scandalize, right? A scandal. Uh, Here's a quote from John Bevere who wrote The Bait of Satan. And it says, what you do with an offense will dictate your future. You know, last night, um, well, here, our, our discussion is, why is it so important to deal with an offense? Right? And I quoted, be angry and not sin. Wow. Right? Um, the taking on of an offense, I heard a lot of things last night. We talked a good, good bit about this. One of the things was, uh, it's like drinking poison and expecting the other person right. to die. That's good. Right? Yeah, what are you hanging on to? Because you've taken on the offense. Right, that's good. Um, I also was, uh, it was brought up, I think, by Lester Gonzalez. Shout out to Lester. Good guy, that Lester, I tell you. Um, he was talking about the Lord's Prayer. 
You know, lead us not into temptation, right? Well, he says first, uh, as we for, uh, forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those that have trespassed against us, and lead us not into temptation. The offense is a temptation. It's tempting to take the bait. It's called bait, right? Because when you fish, you put bait. Why did the, why the bait? Because that's tempting to the fish. But what's really there? There's a hook. Right. So what you thought was going to be a treat now becomes a hook. Yeah, I mean, it, the bait of Satan by John Bevere was written some time ago. He's got some a revised version. But uh, this is the number one book that I would recommend to read today. The Bait of Satan. The Bait of Satan, bar none. Yeah. And then the next book would be his undercover about, mm-hmm. about leadership, respect, and honors, rewards is another good book. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, this is driven this is by just, eternity. This is just where we're You know, like you know, when when you when I heard another employee say to me, you know, in regards to my boss, you know, if I ever saw him on the side of the road, I would run him over. <laughs> that's an offense. I mean, that's 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 terrible. Mm-hmm. So it's almost like you know. How do you how do you decide what the offense is? Mm-hmm. How do you decide what are you carrying? What are you doing? You know, I would say this: if you're not going to retaliate or have revenge, or if you don't hold a grudge, I believe you've dealt with it mm. as much as you can. Sure, because we all say something or do something, and that's really what it's about. It's it, the offense is actually uh, what you've said and done that you hold on to mm. that you want to, you know. You want to have retaliation or revenge or a grudge, you know, or justice, or wish them bad, or something. I mean, these are all the forms of a bad offense. Holding that, you know. Now, if it be possible, be at peace with all men. So you don't want to accumulate a bunch of offenses, and you realize, you know, if I hang around these people long enough, there's going to be a lot of offenses. Yeah, a lot of things said and done that I disagree with, and, and so you have to look at your own personal and say. You know, is this worth staying in the race for? Is this worth staying around? Or is this worth having those people in my life? If that's the case, you know, especially when it comes to contention or strife, is it worth even having them in our life? Because that's what happens with, with, with the offense that I could see. Have you actually dealt with it? Mm-hmm. Have you moved on to new offenses? You know, this scripture is one of those uh, very simple yet profound scriptures that it's, it's very basic but very hard maybe to walk out when it comes to getting an understanding of what you should and shouldn't be doing with an offense. Um, the point here is that many will be offended. Why? Because there's going to be offenses. There's going to be uh, people doing things Church, to one politics, another yeah. that be. that people perceive to be offensive. Right. And the question then again is how do you deal with offenses? And the people that are confident in the Lord and in themselves and in their own faith and in who they are, they're, it's, it's hard to offend them. How do you offend somebody that's, that's confident in themselves? It's hard to do that because they have that confidence, right? Versus the offense that uh, the person that takes on offense is nonstop, right? You, we all know people that are like, I'm offended by this. I'm offended by yeah. that. That's offensive. This is offensive. And it's like, man, shut up. The church is full of hypocrites. I'm offended. Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> You know, it's funny, we were talking before we started recording about Christians and Jews coming together and how our ways and their ways are offensive to each other. Right. It and, actually says the gospel, the gospel, that we're the enemies of the Jewish people because of the gospel. Also well, they're enemies of us, right. Yeah, we're the enemies. Yeah. The gospel's the enemy. Well, and it's, and Jesus says, it, blessed is he who is not offended of me. Yeah, that's right? True. Because, again, 
there's people that have sacred cows or built up doctrines or built up things. And when they encounter truth, they become offended by it. And so that's the worst to be offended by the truth. You know, um, discuss why it is so important to deal with an offense. I want to read Matthew chapter five, verses 23 and 24. Um, the, the title is actually teaching about anger, but therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar and there rememberest that thy brother hath aught against thee, leave there thy gift before the altar and go thy way first, be reconciled to thy brother and then come and offer thy gift. Very good. So that's, uh, that's it. That's pretty self-explanatory, you know, sure. God will bring it to your mind or, you know, um, one of the things in, in dealing with forgiveness or whatever is, you know, it's not good to say, you know, you need to ask for forgiveness to tell somebody that. Yeah. I think if if you have an offense and you, and you go to them and you deal with it and they don't respond accordingly, you just walk away because there's nothing you can do. It's not like you owe me an apology or you, you owe me forgiveness or you should ask for forgiveness for what you did to me and said to me. And it's almost like that's kind of kind of manipulation. Well, it is, but also it's it's a sign of being offended. Yeah. So again, if you have confidence in yourself and in the Lord, you don't need someone to come and ask for forgiveness, right? You're not offended. You don't care. It is what it is, right? right. When we allow things to emotionally hijack us, that's when we've taken on the offense. And right. then the way it's why it's just be angry, right? right? It's okay to be upset because right. somebody did something. And then you put yourself in like and a, not sin. Yeah, and then you can actually put yourself in like an abusive situation. Right. Just, it's just not. It's just right. They don't relent. It's just like you can cognitively pull yourself out of situations. It's an abusive relationship in a positive to some degree. It can be at any level of marriage. Oh yeah, church. I mean, but whatever. I mean, and you got to look at it like you know, that's not healthy. Right. You know, it's like having a bad boss. You know, it's oh, always yeah. got it in for you. Oh yeah. You're like oh, you know, I got to pay for him. You know. Huh? I got to be with him for 12 hours. Um, you want to continue I on? do. I do. So that many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. Wow. There's that word deceive again. Don't be deceived. And then it says, and because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. So this is interesting. False prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. There's a lot of folks that believe that the message of the evangelical church today, especially in the prosperity movement, is a great deception from false prophets, which I find I, – I don't know that I would buy into some of the specific things that people call out uh, or the specific people necessarily, but I do kind of buy into that it's something to think about, right, that we have to make sure that we are not buying into things – that are going to lead us astray, especially when the persecution comes. We have to know what we believe and why. And if we believe that God is a genie and that we can just rub the lamp and that he's going to give us three wishes, then we really don't have faith at all. And we have created a, an, an idol instead of the Lord himself, right? Which is the, this is just a big pot of bad stew. Oh, it is. It's I mean, if you're offended and you're betrayed and then you hate. Right. And then also it gets into the false prophets and false teachers and deception. Yeah. And then the, there's sin. Well, and that's it. So, and because no iniquity love, shall abound. It's a horrible day. So the iniquity piece is interesting because this word iniquity in the Greek is the word anomia, which just means lawlessness. It's the absence of law. 
And it doesn't mean that like, oh, they just don't know. Like, you know, you read Romans and it talks about how them that don't know the law, like right. in two and three, but still do the law because right. the law is written on their hearts, right? They become a law unto themselves. We're not talking so about So is lawless. Right. Wow. We're talking here in iniquity about people breaking the law. So this is why Torah is such a safety belt, right? It's such a safety net for people. It really is. Restitution is such a basic concept about... How do we interact in love with one another? Well, we treat each other with respect. What's a way of respecting people? If I broke something of yours, I replace it. Right. Restitution. Right. right? Or if I you know, was in a desperate situation and you weren't home but I needed something that you had, I would take it and then I would come and return it plus 20%. Right? right. These are basic concepts oh, yeah. that we don't need um, – you don't necessarily need the Torah to know it. Right. right. But you only know it because the Torah existed in the culture before you, right? If that makes sense. So people are sinning, which means they're doing things that offend one another, which we just talked about that in the last verse. They're selfish. Because we're, we're selfish. <laughs> and that's how we hurt others. But this is, again, the false selfish. prophets. Today's, today's evangelical movement, right? This prosperity message. It's a me-centered gospel. Yeah. Jesus is not Lord of that message, right? It's a me-centered, a self-centered gospel. What can I get out of this? Oh, and it's so funny. Like I've seen people put together compilations, you know, of, of the prosperity message, and it's bad, right? Like that money's coming now, right? Now, how many of them say like? How about now? the money on the not on the church tomorrow, starts and not, dance on it? Oh man, I don't even. It, but that's what I'm saying. Like we're talking bad, right? Like where's the lightning? You know, <laughs> like if there was ever going to be lightning, this would be the time, Lord. However, um, the false prophets come and they deceive the people. And the people in the deception, the tricky deception is self-centeredness. They become self-centered. It's not about an other-centered gospel or they're helping others and they're bringing others into the kingdom. And their kingdom So once you're offended, betraying, hey, you could be deceived. Well, you're you deceived by the false prophets yeah. that teach you you're, false teachings. You're, not in you're a good deceived. Place. You're not a good place. Right? So then what? Then the offenses arise because it's a me-centered gospel. Now I sin. Iniquity abounds. Right. I do things for my own self-interest. Right. Okay? So now I, I, I commit the iniquities and the love waxes cold. Right. Right? And men, so it's like this – it's like a you can see the pieces of the puzzle being fit together. Yeshua, right. you know, obviously knows what he's talking about. It's a vicious cycle. It is. Boy, it is. You can feel it too. So here's some bullet points. Jesus said false teachers would come and he warned his disciples as he warns us not to listen to their dangerous words, which sound good, but lead us away from the God of truth. Wow. Right? It sounds good. God wants you to prosper. Yeah. You think he brought you into the kingdom? He, yeah. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And the potatoes in those hills. And he wants you to have 999 of them. Right. And guess what? He's got a thousand more for your neighbor. Right. Bring him into the kingdom. We'll all be prosperous. Right. You know, I'm, I'm just, yeah. you know what? Maybe we'll just quit this and we'll start doing that. Because, I mean, I'll take 999 sheep. Because the one he had to go get, you know. <laughs> so with false prophets and teachers, along with loose morals, comes a particularly destructive disease. The loss of true love for God and others. Sin cools your love for God and your sensitivity to the needs of others by turning your focus on yourself. You cannot truly love if you think only of yourself. I know. Selfish. 
I'm learning about that. Got to give more to my wife. Yeah. Do more for her. So if you can make it through this offense factory without betraying and hating. That's true. Right? Without committing gross sin. Right? right? And without letting your love wax cold. If you can, if you can do all of that. Let's discuss something because we all go through personal stuff. Sure. Let me, and I think I've already asked you this. We went over this. Maybe. So let's say that, that you're hurt, that you're dealing with resentment and bitterness, mm. and you're dealing with it, yeah. and you're bleeding for healing. You're, you're really chipping away at it. Yep. Is that, that's not hate, right? And it's not sin. Mm, what a good question. I mean, I'm just saying that if, if you're working it out. If you've taken on an offense. I mean, I'm just saying that you are, you are more susceptible to sin yeah, that's than true. your brother that doesn't have you, that. You, you are. But I'm just saying in a situation where people resent you or they make there's resentment because of the way they treated you or spoke to you. And then it becomes, you know, a form of bitterness that you have to deal with. Mm. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I'm just saying it's a process. Yeah. But if you're working through it and you're not exchanging evil for evil and you're praying and you're working through it, I'm just saying for anybody that's listening or watching. I guess the question would then, be, again, then, then, it's, it's not then. necessarily about being offended because, again, be right. angry and not sin. Right. So there's, there's, a, there's a dividing line. experience it, you know, to some degree. A lot of marriages. I think also the longer you hold on to an offense, the harder it is not to sin. That's true. Um, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Because yeah. ultimately, the hatred of your brother in your heart is yeah, murder. You shouldn't be bringing up stuff that you've already brought up. What, what's, there's a verse. I forget where it is. Yeah, you shouldn't have to bring something up that you've you already know, brought up. You know, you brought up Matthew 5, right? Yeah. Matthew 5. This is, this is tough. This is a tough word, right? It is. It says here, uh, you have heard it said of, by those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. But I say unto you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. Interesting. And whoever says to his brother, Raka, right? Climb a fool. Yeah. And then you had already read part of these verses. So, right. so interesting. The point there is... These are real issues. But it's a heart issue, just like everything else. Because we're spiritual beings. He's got to give us a new heart. In a physical world. And a new spirit. And the sin happens first in our heart before we ever act on it physically, right? That's why he says adultery is when you lust on a woman in your heart. Right. But yet you haven't done the thing, right? right. But yet you're still dealing with the sin. Right. So I think people will individually have to talk with the Lord to decide whether or not the bitterness and resentment that they hold is really hatred for their brother. If, if you hold on to the third bullet point, if you read that a couple times, just read it a couple times. It's going to actually tell us. Well, this is what I was getting to. That's why I created that bullet point because I was thinking, okay, this is what we need to be doing. Then. But this That's is a lot. But remember, this is what I said, right? If you can, if you can maintain, right? Because what does it, what does it say when we started this? <clears throat> it says, "A many will be offended." So if you can have confidence in yourself and the Lord to not be offended, and you're not betraying others, you're not hating, right? right? You're not buying into the deceptions of the false prophets. That you are not in gross sin and you're still loving your brother, right? Then you get to verse 13. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. So what is that bullet point? And so to endure to the end means you don't listen to false prophets. You quickly repent for your sins and then you show others the love of God. Wow. That's a lot of work. That is a lot. It sounds so simple when you read so it. Like, oh, look at this little so bullet point. People. Here's kids, my little bullet point. Marriage, church. Yeah, here's my little bullet point. Yeah. Don't listen to false prophets. Quickly repent That's for your sins. Thing. There's a lot of false teachings. And out show there. others a lot There's of a lot of false teachings out there. There really are. 
and then you repent of your own personal sins and deal with your, your junk, mm-hmm. and, you, and you show others the love of God. Yeah. All right, so we got one more verse. Yeah, we do. And this is what it says. It says, in this gospel of the kingdom, which gospel? The gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. So Jesus said that before he returns, the gospel of the kingdom, which you put in parentheses, the message of salvation, will be preached throughout the world. This was the disciples' mission, and it is ours today. Jesus talked about the end times and the final judgment to show his followers the urgency of spreading the good news of salvation to everyone. And it has. Now listen. Think about the technology. I just have a little, only thing that I have to say in reference to this. Because, you know, we know that whole denominations have built themselves evangelically around this verse saying we have to get the gospel to the ends of the earth right we have to go and preach jesus to every tribe every tongue we got to translate the bible into every language we got to get this news out there because the sooner we do that the sooner the end will come because when does the end come it says when the gospel of the kingdom is preached right? right to the ends of to all nations then shall the end come. So here's my question. Hasn't the gospel been preached to all nations? I think so. I would, I would think so. I mean, a lot of countries have excluded the Bible. But it's been preached. It it's so. been done. So, so here's what I'm thinking. I'm wondering if this gospel of the kingdom, and I feel like unless we understand that the gospel of the kingdom is the good news, again, and I say gospel of the kingdom because even Yeshua in the first words he says in the book of Mark, right? Repent ye and believe this gospel. The gospel of what? The kingdom of God is at hand. So what is this kingdom? This kingdom is a physical kingdom on the earth. It's the kingdom of Israel. It's going to be in Jerusalem. He's going to be ruling That's definitely part of it, yeah. from I, I agree. Israel, from Jerusalem, circle, from coming full circle. the temple. How he went up, he's coming down. Correct. So he's not off in the desert. But why is this good news to us? It's good news to us because we're grafted in. That's we true. get to be part of the kingdom. That's true. Right? We have a vested interest. We get to be part of the kingdom. And this is the good news. I don't think that that's the gospel message that's being preached. The gospel message that's being preached is Jesus is here for you. Yeah. He loves you. Yeah. You're going to be prosperous. Yeah. Right? I mean, I think we've got this other thing that we've been preaching to people. and not Look and at all these things Jesus can do for you. Understanding of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The kingdom of, of, of God. And his Messiah coming to rule on the earth to set things right. That's the good news. I don't news. know if you do. You remember? Do you remember when when it got so crazy when Obama was running for office? People were going nuts. I mean, the first black president, which is great. Don't get me wrong. But do you remember some of those interviews or people saying, you know, when he gets elected, he's going to pay my mortgage. He's going to give out cell phones. Oh, he's got me a phone. Yeah, he did actually give me phones. But anyway, no, what I was saying is that it was like it was almost the Obama like, phone. It was just so absurd, you know. Yeah, yeah. Like, well, if he's the president, this is what he's going to do, and it's just it was so absurd. I don't have to go back and look at that, but people were going nuts. Like he's going to he's going to pay our mortgage, and he's going to get us phones, and oh yeah, you know, he's the president. I mean, yeah, yeah. I don't know where that comes in. So what do you got for me? All right. So, what two points can you get out of Matthew chapter twenty-four, verses one through four? I'll go first. Oh, please. You look like you've got quite a sentence there. Too little. I would like to say two things, and I guess I could spend more time and delve more into it. But I would say this: number one, don't be deceived. That is so powerful. Four times he says, "Don't be deceived." So that's so important. Yep. 
And that's why it's important to have counselors, multiple counselors. There's safety and accountability, amen, in our lives. That's what a marriage is. It's accountability. Uh, so number two, after don't be deceived. Uh, number two, what you do with the offense will dictate your future. Those are good points. That's my two points, and that's what I see, and that's what I'm going to rest on. Yeah. Yes. All right, so my first one is live God's ways consistently so you'll be ready for his return. That's good, like a preparation kind of verse. Be prepared. If you're prepared, you won't be deceived. Correct. Well, that's what he says. He says, if the watchman knew when the thief would come, then he would only watch at that time. But he doesn't know when the thief comes, so he has to watch all so the time. So your number one is to be prepared. Yeah, live God's ways consistently so that you'll be ready for his return. Oh, that's good. And then number two is don't believe everyone who claims they are the Messiah. You know, it's funny. Don't believe anyone. I think that part of the yeah. de- that's a, well, that's what I'm going to say. I think part of the deception don't anyone. today is we're so like I mean, cult I, of personality. I'm a listen, figure. I think there aren't very many Messiah figures that I can think of. All of us would like to think that if we were alive during Yeshua's day and we were a Jew in Judea or in Samaria in Jerusalem, that we would have accepted him as Messiah. I think that's what we all want to believe about yeah, ourselves. Yeah, not necessarily. And the Pharisees thought that they wouldn't stone the prophets, and there they are killing Jesus, right? So yeah. <laughs> the Messiah himself. And he said that too. He did. You are, the, you are the children of those people. So I just find it interesting because I feel like, even in my own heart, that there is a major propensity that people that, that purport to be a holy person of any kind, prophet or anything, I'm very suspect of, right? It's like, oh, that's suspicious. What is suspicious? People that declare themselves holy in some way or, oh. or an office, right? They declare themselves to have an office, right? Oh, yeah. uh, or if somebody came and declared themselves as Messiah, I'd still be like, Thomas, you know, like, show me show me the hole in your side. Show me your hands, you know? Right. But why? Because we've been taught, don't be deceived, don't be deceived, don't be deceived. Oh, by the way, don't be deceived. And I'll hello, tell you, the hello. social media and the technology they have today is so deceptive. You know, they can actually take like a political figure and make a video of him like in a room with another woman and put his face on that man. Correct. And 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 you'll AI. Say, yeah. Artificial intelligence. Here's what's crazy. They can do it in real time. I can record a video of myself talking and then I can use AI and it'll just put the face of whoever I want and their voice as if they're the one doing it. I'm telling you. What's even true anymore? Yeah. They call those what? Uh, Great, real deep. They call it a deep faith. Deep faith. Yes. Oh Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, King of Heaven, Lord, we are just men, and so God, we ask you for your divine intervention in our lives, that we would know your truth, and that by which we would not be deceived. We are eagerly awaiting your coming. Bo Yeshua, Bo, come, Jesus, come. We want you to come. We're ready, Lord. We want you back. But we want your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven, God. So we just ask that you would help us not be deceived, that you would keep our eyes open, and that you would let us be those people that are not fearful in the last days, but that we are comforting and encouraging those that are fearful, Lord. So we just love you, we thank you, and we pray in Yeshua's mighty name. Amen. 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 All right, so keep the conversation going. If you guys uh, put something in the comments, we'll be there to to check on it. And, uh, We'd talk. love to have some comments. We would love to. Yes, and Ryan at twopraise.net. You can email me, Ryan at twopraise.net. And uh, well, bless you guys. Have a great week. <laughs>